I'm getting really excited for the next couple weeks. We're doing some different things in the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to do something that we call Community Sunday. Now, maybe you've noticed that the past few weeks, we haven't uh, been turning and shaking each other's hands, greeting each other. Um, in replace of that, next Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to have a time where we're going to end church early. Yeah, right? We're going to end church like 10, 15 minutes early, something like that. Your kids are still going to be taken care of downstairs in, in our children's ministry. And then we're going to have free donuts, coffee, maybe some other food out in the lobby or outside something. So you can all connect with one another. And so if you're new here, we'll have some life group leaders or some staff or some other volunteers that will want to get you connected. Or if you just want to hang out, get to know a new person or hang out with an old friend, either way, it's going to be a great time just to connect with one another in a real intentional way. And then in two weeks, it is our 20th anniversary service as a church. 20 years. Pretty amazing, huh? We started uh, North Church uh, in Northwood Middle School in 1999. And look how far we've come. Some of you haven't matured as much as we would have hoped, but that's still okay. No, it, we're, we have an amazing church, don't we? It is what an honor and a blessing to be a part of this congregation of just wonderful people. And so uh, for those of you who've been with us for a long time or you've been with us just for a short amount of time, just thank you for your generosity, for your support, for your service to our church, our community. Uh, it's been really amazing to see the impact that our church has made in our community over the last 20 years, isn't it? So bring a friend with you on September 15th, 2019 is our 20th anniversary celebration service. Bring someone with you. It's going to be a lot of fun. I really am excited about what's going to take place. So please join us. It, it'll be wonderful. This morning, we're going to talk about giving as a form of worship. Now, I know some of you, the moment that you hear the word giving, the first thing you think of is, I'm going to check out. And here's your easy excuse to check out. Right? Oh, here's this young guy up here. What does he know about money or finances? Like, oh, I'll just kind of kick back and, uh, you know, think about what I'm going to do for Labor Day tomorrow. And that's fine. Or option two is you can lean in a little bit. And uh, I believe God wants to uh, share with us something very important this morning. So we're going to talk about giving as a form of worship. And that, let's just start off with the question of, well, what is worship, right? Is worship when you're here on Sundays and we're singing? Yes. Is uh, worship more than that? It really is. Worship is more than just how we sing, but it's uh, so much deeper and, and there's more things attached to it than just our voices. Worship isn't just when you light some incense and like sit in your room and have a moment, right? Um, Paul tells us what worship is. And I think one of the best definitions of worship is found in Romans chapter 12. This is what uh, Paul writes. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Our worship is so much more than just when we sing. Or when you're in your car and you have the latest Hillsong song that you're jamming out to. Our worship is how we live our life. That when we worship and we sing, that is wonderful. Here on Sundays, that's you know, 15 minutes throughout your entire week. That our worship 
is how we live our life. Our worship is our obedience to God's word. Our worship is following his commands. Our worship is when you were at school, you, you, how you love the people on your campus. Our worship is when you're at home and you're parenting your children, that you're following godly ways to parent them. Our worship is just how we live our life that it would be pleasing and it would be God-honoring, that when we surrender ourselves, when we live as a, our life as a sacrifice to God, that we say yes to what you have for us, that is our true worship. And so today, we're not only going to talk about worship, but our giving to God. And giving can be awkward, right? Like we just took the offering and sometimes giving is a little awkward, especially for those of you who probably tithe online. I tithe online, right? And you have the basket, you know, and every time you hand it to the other person, they never see you give anything because you tithe online. And you always think in your head, like, I promise I'm tithing, right? And you just want to like turn to the person as you give them the basket and be like, I tithe online, <laughs> right? It's a little awkward sometimes. Every time I'm sitting next to my wife, I always whisper in her ear, like, we tithe online. She's like, I know. But just giving in general, right? It, it, just the topic itself, sometimes the practice of it, it can be clunky, and we're not perfect. We're not a perfect church. But we serve a God who loves us dearly and that sacrificed everything for us. And there's a part of obeying God and being obedient to what he asks us that allows us and it, at, uh, for us to respond in a certain way. But we also live in a culture, right? That's like, you can't drive down the road and sit at a red light without someone begging you for money, right? Everyone wants your money. And everyone's always asking, gimme, gimme, gimme your money. That like, there's signs, there's, there's nonprofits, there's this, there's that. And so sometimes like what happens is we just build up these walls, you just build up these walls that's just like, ah, I just can't deal with the whole gimme your money thing. And I just am so honored and I'm so proud of us as a church that we never pressure people to give. We are not trying to twist anyone's arm. Who we are is we are a group of people who want to be obedient to God. We want to say yes to him and live and imitate um, uh, Jesus Christ and how he lived. And part of that... Uh, means looking at and understanding tithing, offering, giving. A tithe is simply uh, the giving back to God a tenth of your income back to him. And an offering is essentially in simplest terms, an offering is a gift to God that goes above and beyond your normal uh, tithe. Um, and that's essentially when I'm talking about giving, I'm talking about those things. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a story in the Bible that addresses both worship and giving. It's a story that's very special and unique. And here's the thing. All four Gospels, the writers of each one of those, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they write about this story. Now, if one writer, um, one of the Gospel writers, tells a story about Jesus' ministry or the life of Jesus, it's always important. Now, if two writers tell the same story, you really got to pay attention. Now, if all four writers record this, uh, a certain event, you do not want to turn your head from it. This is, if not, some of the utmost important events in the life of Jesus. And there are only 11 events recorded in 
all four gospel accounts of Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And even non-Christians will recognize some of these, and they're probably known to be some of the most significant markers in the life and ministry of Jesus, but even in history. Here's the, those 11 events. First is the baptism of Jesus. Second is the feeding of the 5,000. Third is Peter's profession. Fourth is the anointing of Jesus by Mary. Fifth is the triumphal entry. Sixth is the Last Supper. Seven is the Garden of Gethsemane. Eight is the trials. Nine is the crucifixion. Ten is Jesus' burial. And 11 is Jesus' resurrection. Those are 11 very important events that all four writers record. And number four on that list was the anointing of Jesus by Mary. This is the story that we are going to look at this morning that is incredibly important. Pay close attention to the importance of this story. Let's read it. We're going to read Mark's account of this story, but we'll also look at some of what Luke has to say about it in a moment here as well. This is what he writes. He says, Meanwhile, while Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy, while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from es the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such an expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. Now underline this part here. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, still discussing and remembering this woman's act of worship and generosity to our Lord and Jesus Christ. What will you be talked about and remembered for? If Jesus or God was to say, this is what you will be remembered and talked about for. What would that be? Most people aren't even talked about longer than five years. If you've made a significant mark in history, maybe 10 or 15. But what would that be for you? Would it be, she was an amazing mother. She loved her family. She served people well. She was a wonderful school teacher. Now, those are all really great things. There's nothing wrong with that. But the amazing part about this is what this woman was remembered for was her extravagant worship of Jesus. Now, would your worship of Jesus even make the top 10 of what you would be remembered for? How you worshiped God, would that even make the top 10? This woman worshiped Jesus extravagantly. She was in total sacrifice and surrender, gave an, 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 uh, an immense gift. Now, nard is super expensive, and nard is different than nar, 
G-N-A-R. That's like shredding the gnar, you know, when you're snowboarding or something. Nard is like a perfume. And I know nard's a cool word, so we can all say it together on the count of three. One, two, three, nard. See, it feels good. Nard is super expensive. It was valued at a year's wages. So in Spokane, I just did a quick two-mile radius around our church. The average household income is $70,000. So this nard was worth like, in our times in Spokane, $70,000. Now, the amount uh, of times that we see a local church, our local church received a gift of $70,000 is few and far between, if maybe none. <laughs> now, what was Jesus trying to teach us here in this moment? Everyone was critical of how this woman spent her possessions. Why would you use your possessions that way? That was worth a year's wages. Why would you give that much? And so the, the first thing to take away this morning is, what is the purpose of giving? Giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Worship is far more than singing. Worship is being obedient to God. It is obeying God. We serve God with our worship, how we live our lives. When we give him an offering or a tithe, it is also our worship. We worship him through that. Listen to what Moses wrote in the book of Deuteronomy. He said, you must bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, and your offerings to fulfill a vow to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. We bring it all for worship, everything we have. We bring our lives, we bring our service, we bring our sacrifice, we bring our voices. Maybe we serve occasionally, we do these things, but we do it all. It's how we serve, it's how we love, it's how we live our life, that we are to do that, to imitate God, because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then Jesus, he sacrificed himself to the point of death on the cross for you and for me. Our God is an extremely generous God. Our worship is to live sacrificially. And the, um, the whole concept of giving tithes and offerings goes far dated back previous than just Moses and the law. It goes all the way back to Abraham and Adam and Eve. We see from the beginning parts of scripture and Genesis all the way till the end, this act and practice of giving to back to God. It was not just legalized from Moses. Our worship is to live sacrificially. We're to imitate him in all that we do. Look at the Apostle Paul's words in the book of Ephesians. He writes, imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Follow the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Then, in the book of Philippians, after the church was supporting Paul, supporting his missionary work, supporting church planting, and supporting him, uh, the local church listened. And then he wrote then this in Philippians 4.18. He said, at the moment, I have all I needed more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with 
uh, Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Isn't that interesting? Paul calls their donation a fragrant offering that pleases God. He used the same words and phrases in Ephesians to express how Christ gave his life for us. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that a financial donation to the work of God is described with the same phrase as the indescribable gift of Jesus. Both are a pleasing, acceptable aroma to God. Worship is all about surrender. When we come in here and we worship and we sing, it is all about surrender, how you surrender to God and and a complete sacrifice to him. That's what worship is. It's imitating God who sacrificed everything for you and me. So when we come in and we surrender ourselves and worship here, that is what real worship is, surrendering and praising him. We worship God not just on Sundays, but throughout life, even when we leave the church building, even when we go to work and we go to school or we're at home, it is still an act of surrender, how you live your life, and that does not exclude our money. This type of generosity, it just looks different though. And most people won't understand. And you would probably be be criticized with this type of surrender or sacrifice of your life in worship to God. Now on Wednesday, September 25th at 7 a.m., students all over the nation will gather around each uh, of their flagpole at their school with a morning called prayer at the pole or see you at the pole. And this is a bold statement of worship that when high school students or junior high students or college students gather around their flagpole where everyone can see praying for their school, their teachers, their fellow students, and our nation, it is worship to live in a surrendered life that says, I don't care what other people may think of me. I remember when I was a senior in high school, I really felt like God was calling me that I would pursue a more surrendered life of worship, that I I just wanted to live differently. But I knew I was going to be criticized for this. So I remember when I went to prayer at the pole as a senior in high school, uh, someone had asked me to lead worship for everyone. And and so I'm there with my guitar, and there was, you know, teachers, and there was uh, some faculty, and there was students praying for our school, the staff, the students. And it was fine. From like 7 to 7.45, no big deal, right? It was a little chilly. That was it. But it was when all the school buses started coming in, the school parking lot. And here comes these hundreds of students. And as they got off their bus and they started walking by, you saw there was people in the circle that went like, oh, actually, um, uh, the prayer was good, but I had some homework I got to do really quick. And they would move inside. Because they didn't want to be criticized. But here was this other group of people that are saying, I want to live boldly. I want to be a full surrendered life. And I want to worship God. I don't care who sees uh, how I live. And you were criticized. People, what what the heck were you doing out there? What was going on? You got some kind of cult or like, what's happening here? You were criticized for it. And when you live a life surrendered to Jesus and you give sacrificially with your life, how you live, and with your money and your possessions like the woman did in this story, you will be criticized as well. You will be criticized as well. 
If you go back and read this story, um, you'll see that if you read in the other gospel accounts, the most critical person of this woman was Judas. Judas was the most critical person. But we also know Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, he was evil. His heart was evil. And when we talk about sacrificial living and we talk about a surrendered life and being generous as God is generous, there will always be people who are critical, but it's not a theological problem. Usually, it's a sin problem. Because we serve an incredibly generous God. It, there's a, this natural response to receiving grace that you um, cannot deny what you've been given, so you must give back. And here's the thing is you have more debt than you're aware of. And I'm not talking about financial debt. I'm talking about spiritual sin debt. That your spiritual credit cards, they're maxed. They're maxed out. And Jesus, at this party, here this woman Mary comes in. What I didn't tell you already is she was a prostitute. So Mary comes in. She's a prostitute. And they all think to themselves, if Jesus was really God, why doesn't he know who this woman is and just send her away? Why does he allow her to anoint him with this, with this uh, expensive perfume? But pause for a moment here as we think about this, right? Is everyone knew who this woman was. She comes in and they're all like, Jesus, don't you know who this is? And he's like, yeah, I do. How do you know her? We all have more spiritual debt than we're aware of. They were all like, uh, I know her because I have a brother's cousin's friend who said something. Jesus then, he would oftentimes illustrate as he uh, tries to teach them in the form of a story. And this is what he says in Luke's account of this story. After they kind of criticized the woman, he then said, Jesus told this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you this, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is, underline this part, forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to this woman, your sins are forgiven. Jesus connected with people that were far from God. And this woman, she had endured shame. She had endured ridicule. Her life didn't turn out how she probably thought it was going to turn out when she was a little girl. And here she is under the weight and the pressure and the, and the reality of all her sin and all her life choices. She knows that she is 
bankrupt, that her spiritual credit cards are maxed out. There is nothing that she can do to get rid of this debt that she had occurred through sin. And Jesus forgives her. And why she presents such an extravagant worship to Jesus is not just because uh, uh, she felt like she wanted to break her jar and get rid of it. She knew that she would give anything if she could spend an eternity with God. That if the guilt and the shame of her sin could be released, what would she give for that? Everything she had. And here in this story, it could be easy to think of that some, what Jesus is saying is some people have more sin than other people. And so the people who have more sin, they're shown more forgiveness. Not what he's saying. What he's saying is some people are aware of the amount of sin that they have more than other people, which means that some people are just not aware of how maxed their spiritual debt is, that you go through life just thinking like, I'm a pretty good person, you know, give to the poor, I serve here, I do that, I try and only cuss once a day, and you know, whatever, whatever. Not aware that your sin is many. Your sin, as good as you think you are, the Bible tells us that our best is like filthy rags given to him, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no person in this room, none of us, we're all fully maxed out, spiritual debt, weight, sin. And it's only the people who are aware of the how desperate they need God, that when they understand how much they have been forgiven for, man, how you worship a God who loves you that much. Imagine if you were in real financial debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and someone just paid it all off. What kind of feeling would that create in your own heart and mind? The, the weight and the pressure of financial a debt in your own life and it was just wiped clean, hundreds of thousands of dollars, someone just paid it for you, this, that would pay, that pales in comparison to an eternity apart from God. And here this woman, she worship, worships extravagantly and gives back generously because she understands how generous our God truly is. And those of us who don't understand how maxed our spiritual credit card is, how maxed in the weight of our sin actually is, means that you can live life and not fully embrace and fully surrender and sacrifice your own worship back to God because you might not feel like you even need it that much. And that is the place that Jesus is trying to get at when he's talking to Simon. That you don't realize how far gone you are as well, Simon. Our spiritual credit cards are maxed, but Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid every penny of it away. Once we realize how much God sacrificed for us and our own spiritual debt, each and every one of us, though we've fallen short, we've fallen short by a mile, but in God's grace, he saved us. How we live our lives how we worship God, it is a natural response for receiving grace. 
We just, you can't help but want to give back and to want to surrender to that. How we worship God is our response to his grace. Second thing is, giving is about ability, not legality. Giving is not about equal gift amount, and it's about equal sacrifice. Here's what Paul writes to the Corinthian church uh, in 2 Corinthians. He says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have uh, and not what you have not, what you don't have. So here's the thing. I have college students ask me all the time, right? And you go through Rooted Together and you get to the financial week and they're like, so how do I tithe as a college student? Do I like give 10% of my student loans back to God? Or like, do I give some of like my top ramen money that my parents gave me to the church? No, you don't. You don't give someone else's money to God. You don't give the government's money back to God. What you do is you go get a job, and then with a tenth of what you earn as a college student, you give that back to the Lord. You, don't, you give with what you have, not with what you don't. And your student loans is not what you have. <laughs> we also don't tithe with our time. Sorry if I'm the bearer of bad news on this one, okay? But don't shoot the messenger, right? Uh, we don't tithe with our time. Sometimes people feel like the way that I give back to God, the way I tithe to him is through service. And you serving is not a tithe. How we tithe is, again, our money, our finances. When we give an offering to God that's above and beyond our normal uh, tithes, it is a financial contribution. Here's this, uh, another thing that Paul writes uh, later on in 2 Corinthians. He also says, well, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to be cheerful when we give. Because that, that part of it goes back to the natural response of God's grace to us. It's an indication of how much you're aware of your sin and what God's actually saved you from. And that you're, you're uh, surrendering to yourself and giving back to God. But it's also, how much do you love your father? Any of you in here ever been forced to give a gift? Husbands, I'll speak to you for a moment. Have your, has your wife ever came to you like on a Saturday and been like, hey, we have to go to this kid's birthday party? And you're like, who's Timmy, right? Like, I don't know, Timmy. Yeah, and we got to stop on the way. I need you to help me pick out a gift. And you're like, what? You know, like you've ever been forced to give a gift? That is not the type of gift we're asking here, right? Like God doesn't want you to give a gift that you're reluctantly forced to give. He wants a cheerful giver that... Uh, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. And so God's never going to condemn you and give you guilt or shame because you're not giving cheerfully to him. But the Holy Spirit is here to convict and to bring something up in our own heart that some of you, uh, today might be a time that you begin to give cheerfully to the Lord. Uh, those of you who have kids, or maybe you're an aunt or uncle or a brother, older brother or sister or something, you know, has your kid ever come to you with like just this ugly piece of art from like, you know, church or school or something, you know, and they're like, here, and you're like, wow, it's amazing, and you put it up on the fridge, and you're like, I hope they're good at math, <laughs> you know, <laughs> 
That, has that ever happened to you? And you just have this fridge full of ugly art, but you love it, don't you? Don't you love it? Our, our house is full of ugly art. But is it ugly in our eyes? No way. We, I love it when my child runs up to me with this, you know, like you don't even know, is it a giraffe? Is it a deer? Is it like, you know, is it dad? Like, I don't know what it is, right? But it's like, it doesn't matter what it is. It is this beautiful gift that their heart is, daddy, I want you to have this. Would you put it on the fridge? And you're like, yeah, I certainly will. And you put it up there. That is what our father in heaven wants from us. He wants a cheerful giver, that when you give to him, sometimes, do you ever think, I've thought this before, that when you give, you're blessing God somehow? It's just a false assumption. You don't bless God at all by giving. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't, he doesn't need any of that. But what he does want is he wants your heart. And what he wants to do is bless you in return. And so when you bring him, you know, you're a lot of money or a little bit of money, you know, a lot of money in, in our world is nothing. He doesn't need our monetary, earthly money. And so no matter what amount you give, he'll go, oh, that's so cute, Nate. Thank you for that. I'm just going to put that right here. Pin it up. Blesses. That, that, that really cheers my heart. That's what God wants from us. He wants a cheerful giver. Because he's our father in heaven who loves you dearly. He loves you so much. And let me read this last Bible verse here. And I'm going to read it reluctantly, but there's a lot of truth in it. I know there's been a lot of pastors who've probably twisted this over the years. We've probably all seen televangelists who've tried to twist people's arm. Don't listen to them. But listen to the truth found in here in Luke 6.38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The amount you give will determine the amount that you receive. And when we give cheerfully, there is truth in that, that we are not blessing God somehow by giving money, that what God wants to do is bless you for being generous. And that could mean you get some financial uptick in somehow, but in my life, the way that I've seen it play out is God usually gives us something back that's far uh, more important or worth more than money. Let me end on this uh, very recent story just in me and my wife's uh, own life, that my wife hasn't lived by any of her family in many years. And she loves her family. And I love her family too. And she longs to be with them. And um, so recently, her sister's husband just graduated from dental school. And he had done this national search to look for a job to join a practice or uh, maybe to start his own practice or to buy a practice or whatnot. So he started this national search. And um, uh, throughout this time, you know, Chantel and I, we have been very faithful givers. And have we ever gotten, like, checks of tenfold of what we gave? No, we haven't. But it doesn't mean that it, maybe God would do that. But what God wants to give us is something more valuable oftentimes. And so here he is, and he ended up landing a job here in Spokane, but at our son's dental practice. 
That, that's too unique, isn't it? That he joined a practice with our son's pediatric dentist out of everywhere in the nation. And how we feel is, is it 100% correlated with giving? I don't know. But I do believe that when we practice our giving and when we've done that, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. And I know that my wife and myself, we feel like God has given us one of the desires of our heart because we've been faithful to him. But more than that, God wants to bless his children. And God wants to bless you as well if you begin and you're faithful to live a life surrendered and practice sacrifice and being generous with your own life. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. God, we thank you for your, your incredible sacrifice on the cross for us. How amazing that was that we received the gift of grace and eternity with you if we say yes to you. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, show us, reveal to us the areas of our own heart where we need you, the areas of our own heart that, that we might be uh, hardened or stubborn, the areas of sin in our life that we're not even aware of. God, that we want to be extravagant worshipers of you. God, I want to be remembered and discussed, not with the wonderful person I was, but how I worshiped you and was surrendered to your call. Thank you for Mary, how she gave us a wonderful example to worship you. Reveal to us, God, how we might continue to worship you wholeheartedly in our lives. We love you and thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, if you're new here, uh, Pastor Kenny Barr will be right over here under this monitor. He would love to meet you if you're new. If you are a college student, coincidentally, he's our college pastor as well. So if you're a college freshman and you just, you can stand, go ahead. No, okay. He's the guy in the beard and the white shirt, and he'll be over here. Uh, if you're a college freshman and you're, and you're here and you want to get connected, he would love to connect you. If you're returning um, and you're uh, in college as well, he'd love to meet you. And if you're anyone else, he'd love to meet you and get you connected here at the church. If you'd like some prayer, there'll be some people over to this monitor here that would love to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a wonderful week.